Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Hello, and welcome to GodPod number 41. You will be able to tell that I'm not Graham, and Graham is in hospital very briefly, we hope, uh, suffering the consequences of a misspent youth playing violent football and things like that, mm. so having a small knee operation. And yeah. a misspent middle age, I think. Uh, it's shocking, isn't it, all this sporting... He just learns nothing. Nothing. For want of a better word. He <laughs> won't do for the next couple of weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> but as you can tell, we have Mike. Uh, indeed we do. I'm sorry about that. And Chris. Hello. And we also have a special guest this morning, this Professor <coughs> Nigel Bigger, who's the Professor of Moral and Pastoral Theology in the University of Oxford. Thank you for coming, Nigel. You're welcome. Uh, and also an old friend of mine, which is very nice. Poor Nigel. Well, I'm not sure I can own up to that. Really. No, no well, I th- that's why I thought I'd just out you on that front. So it was even kinder of you to be prepared to come, <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> um, Nigel, tell us a bit about this new centre that's just been opening in Oxford, the MacDonald Centre. Yeah, we, we launched this in October, um, and it's called the, the MacDonald Centre for Theology ethics and public life and uh, the idea is to try and get um, Christian ethics a bit out, out of academic and theology college circles and into the public sphere um, partly so that the wider public life might benefit from hearing some Christian wisdom but also so that academic theologians might learn from the encounter with, with real intractable problems that people outside the academy Actually, face. With. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. So it's not. It's not. It's not a matter of theologians condescending to to <coughs> give their pearls to to the swine. To, I wasn't <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a two-way business, as far as I see it. Because mm. um, if, you, if you're trying to talk about ethical issues, as I do in medicine or foreign policy, um, I, I'm, I'm quite good on the principles, but I'm not a doctor. Mm. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a diplomat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to hear from them too. The Archbishop of Canterbury was on the radio this morning, um, was he talking about e- the economic situation, and, being, and then one of the questions John Humphreys asked him was, "Is it um, wise for a prelate to come out talking about economics and that sort of thing?" He said, "No, I think it's suicidally." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I think anyway, we, we, we have to we, we have to, to uh, we have to to say what we think. But uh, the more we're informed by people on the ground, the wiser what we say will be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And how will it work, this centre? I mean, what's it going to do? Is it going to put on lectures? Is it going to do forums and debates? And, or how does it operate? Yeah, uh, all sorts of things. Um, I mean, right now uh, we are talking about putting on a, some kind of half-day or day event um, on the, the credit crunch and the, the ethics of that. I'm, I'm playing with the idea of call, calling it the... The, the immorals of the market, mm. <laughs> with, with, with a slash between im and morals. Because <laughs> um, uh, uh, several folk have suggested that we should do something on greed or hubris. Now, th- those may well have been vices that have brought us to where we are, but it seems to me that, um, you know, as well as be t- t- taking a kind of critical look at, uh, at attitudes and decisions and structures that have brought us to the, the place we are, uh, we also need to be constructive, because it's very easy to be moralistic, and, and newspapers yes. are being very moralistic, mm. and the church um, in its past 
has been moralistic, and I think we need to be critical, but also constructive, and, and not to beware of scapegoating. I, think. I mean, most things in, in human experience are mixed, aren't they? I mean, the printing press is a fabulous thing on one hand, and can print Mein Kampf on the other. I mean, no, exactly. and, and the, the market is the same, isn't it? All That's markets right. are the same. That's they, right. They do have the hubris and greed side of things, of course they do, because they've got human beings in it, but they also have uh, That's right. lots of more constructive... Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, that would be a, um, a, um, a fairly modest... Um, occasional event responding to something that's just happened, and I, I think we need to, because I, I was asked by uh, a journalist um, um, to, to guide him to the um, good quality discussion in the churches about about the moral dimensions of the what's happened to the financial markets, and I, I drew a complete blank. Yes. Mm. Uh, so I think we need to start gathering our thoughts together. Um, so th th that'd be one um, sort of ad hoc uh, responsive thing. Um, but, um, I mean, we're, 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 we're already, um, we've launched a, a series of, con of, of colloquia, small-scale conversations um, um, amongst Christian theologians, Christian moral theologians, to try and figure out um, what it would take for us to actually start getting stuff published in the press. Hmm. Because it, it strikes me at the moment um, that I, mean, I don't know of any um, Christian ethicist in this country who regularly publishes in the press. Now, partly that's to do with the press, of course. Yes. Uh, and I guess since, since newspapers got more tabloid, there just ain't much space for mm -hmm. sort of non-regular columnists to, to publish. But uh, the absence of, of regular uh, comment from people who probably know more about ethical issues than, than your average journalist is remarkable. And it's a question of, of what we need to do in order to make that happen. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I have a friend who comes from Goa, um, and <coughs> he came to study in, at Oxford for a while, and his impression <coughs> of England was very different from, from mine. His was that the place is so unsecularized. You know, any ethical right. issue that comes up, the, the BBC or the media will, will interview a bishop about it. He said, you never get that with Hindu theologians right. back, back home. Yes. They talk about ritual, yes. but they don't talk about... Yes. Uh, and th that kind of thing, or they're not asked to, they're not invited to, whereas he, yes. his impression was that it happens all over the shop here. Yes. But you're saying that that's more impression perhaps than... Well, uh, I, I, of course, yes, uh, Jonas would, would um, um, ask a bishop what he or she thought. Um, uh, and I guess maybe on radio, in particular perhaps television, um, um, the, the views of certain organisations. If, if it's abortion, then, then you know the, the journalists will will ask care what they think. If it's euthanasia, they'll they'll ask the man of the church, church of England what it thinks. Um, but uh, I mean that. You, so so what the church gets is a, is a chance to make a soundbite of thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. But these are complex issues which are worth at least a thousand words. <laughs> Uh, and, and where you set your own agenda because you write it yourself, no, exactly, rather than responding to aggressive questioning or whatever. Absolutely right. Yeah. Because normally those kind of um, people, are, a bishop is set up to give the Christian point of view on something, which is usually then taken to be a, minor <laughs> a minority view, um, with with which most of the rest of society won't be expected to agree with. Um, with that's uh, right. and I think that yeah. tends to be the way the moral debate is set up now that you you listen to these odd voices, but you assume that they are odd voices. Yeah. 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 yeah, and and what? How how do we do that? How we how do we input into a public debate when 
a lot of the principles that we operate from are not shared by the people with whom we're trying to share them. Yeah. How, how does that best work, do you think? Well, I think my view is actually we share more things than we think we do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I mean, as with, with any conversation between people of different views, I mean, you start the conversation by trying to find out something you have in common, mm-hmm. and you, th- then you start to, to, to explore the differences. And mm-hmm. uh, So I, I think, you know, we, in this society, Christians and non-Christians, do believe in, in human dignity. Um, um, there are all sorts of things we actually take for granted. So I, I, I think, um, you know, we, we have something common to talk about. Um, and as a Christian, I guess my, my strategy is, is to, first of all, try and show um, how Christian belief might make sense of what we hold valuable, um, so at least people understand, you know, uh, um, why it might be important to believe that there is a, a God, that there is a, um, um, a world that is created with a moral order that is, in some sense, given. Um, um, and I think one can get a, a conversation going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from that point. So, I mean, a possible example might be, for instance, you know, it's a fairly common view that people have value, yeah. um, that we might want... On top of that, to say uh, the value is is a personal category, you can't be valued by an impersonal force like electricity or something, and, and that we can provide a grounding. Christian theology can provide a grounding for what other people instinctively and rightly hold, That's it, and possibly, exactly right. or possibly practice better than we do. Yeah, is that the sort of thing that you're thinking of? No, that's exactly right. Now, I mean, I, I mean, other people may buy into the, the value of 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 human life and human dignity and not think it's necessary to to have recourse to, to ground that in, to, yeah. to, to ground it in that way um mm-hmm. and there's a debate to be had about that yes. um but at least we you know we, we're agreed on on the value now uh, um when it comes to figuring out what what value human dignity means for example uh, with regard to the question of the legalization of physician suicide or euthanasia we, we may still differ but at least at least there are common terms in which we can, we can disagree mm. um and uh, well, I think that, uh, I mean, for example, in, in, in the case of that moral question of whether we should legalize physician assisted suicide, um, I mean, my, um, um, as a Christian, I have a particular concern for the vulnerable. I ha- have, um, 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 I have concerns about the way in which um, um, a general cultural affirmation of the value of human life might become eroded. Now, a non-Christian might share some of that, although, in my experience, uh, um, liberal agnostics tend to be you know, quite naive and optimistic about, um, about the fact we have a, a fairly humanist society now, and they kind of assume that this is just going to be the way it's always going to be, whereas I think recent history suggests that's not necessarily so. Um, but again, there, there are some things we have in common there. Um, uh, but I do find that my, my Christian view does, does um, um, at certain important points, um, give me a peculiar view on the issue. And, and interestingly, it's a kind of more sceptical view than the liberal humanist. Yes. Planet. More sceptical of the reliability of human nature and human... Yes, I mean, the, 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 the fact that it seems to me that, yeah, the, the fact, fact that the, the notion of sin is not a foreign notion to me mm. yes. um, makes me sceptical. Um, um, that's right. 
That's right. Uh, and it's not just a, it's not merely a sort of piece of Christian theology that makes me sceptical. I mean, I think that's also backed up if you review 20th century history. So it's, 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 uh, it's a, a theological belief that can call on certain empirical confirmation. Um, and that's how you input into public debate on this kind of issue? I don't think the Christian doctrine of sin is the only thing we have to give no, to the no, world. No. I certainly hope not. <laughs> uh, but just, just to give one example where, where it does make a difference, and I, I, think, I think the Christian view is actually more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. So it sounds as though what you're uh, actually hoping to gradually grow is is a better climate for moral debate, um, because yeah. it, I mean it's so often the moral debate is polarised, isn't it? Um, so that people um, with a religious view are set up as one example uh, of, a, of a minority view on something that then doesn't contribute to a wider debate about what kind of a society we want to be and how we make moral decisions like this. Uh, and so many of these things are treated as individual cases. So you look at um, euthanasia, uh, but you don't look at what that might do for your valuing of vul- vulnerable people in general, elderly people. Um, is that the kind of... No, Jane, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, 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 I do the vision of uh, Christians helping society to have a a more careful, um, a more charitable discussion of these vitally important matters. Because you're absolutely right. Um, It's partly the press. Uh, I hate to knock the press all the time because I I read more newspapers and watch more TV than I really should admit to. But but there's a tendency to to, to polarise. So so this morning, for example, um, our Archbishop... I was reported by the Guardian as backing disestablishment, but if you read the article, he doesn't <laughs> quite say that. <laughs> um, uh, so the, the press is, is it tends to want to make things dramatic and conflictual, um, and uh, the, the, the price of that is that the the, the the complexity of issues gets completely trampled over, mm. um, or, or just not commented on at all, which then makes your desire to input into you know your discussion about how do we get into the the, the newspapers uh, quite a kind of difficult one isn't it because you can either go in with your soundbite and be misrepresented uh, or yeah. you don't touch them with a barge pole in which case you don't have any influence how do you i suppose there's no way of guaranteeing that you're not going to be misrepresented that's part of casting your bread on the waters but you, maybe you just have to take the risk. Maybe you just have to risk getting your hands dirty, getting your fingers burned simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, I think, th- I think that's right. Uh, though, in my, in my limited experience, there are different kinds of press. Um, I, I have published in, in the Irish press on issues, well, both on physicians' suicide and on the uh, troubles in Northern Ireland. Um, and they seem to be able to, at least the Irish Times, um, uh, seems to be able to, to publish articles that are you know, relatively complex. Um, f- I found it more difficult getting stuff published in the British press. Uh, of course, that's partly because the Republic of Ireland is four, four million people and therefore fewer people to, to, to provide material to, to fill newspapers with. <laughs> um, um, but I mean, you know, some some newspapers are willing to cope with relatively um, careful, complex stuff. Although, I, I mean, if, a, if, a, if an academic is going to try and write for the press, he's got to learn to become 
little, little, little more punchy than he would normally do if he were writing for some dusty academic tome. Um, why, why is there resistance, do you think, in the public sphere to Christian contribution? Um, you know, we could say, oh, it's all just prejudice. But, but are there some justifiable fears that they have? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm frequently sort of insisting that, that uh, religious people uh, can have positive, constructive contributions to make. Um, but, but then, of course, uh, uh, um, within my own Church of England, or within the Anglican Communion, you know, we're not always exemplary in the way we handle our differences. Mm. Um, can you eat now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to be subtle there, Jane. <laughs> um, so, and, and, you know, there, there are lots of strident uh, um, voices from religious quarters, from within churches, who don't listen, who, who caricature the opposition. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, looking at those, um, I, I, I can perfectly well see why my liberal fellow citizens are worried about you know, what's going to happen if religion starts uh, yes. talking up in public. But, uh, but the answer to that is, of course, that um, whilst religious people can be dogmatic and, and uh, um, unfair and uncharitable in, in, in debate, uh, religious people don't have a monopoly on that. <laughs> I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, not so long ago we had, we had dogmatic Marxists, mm-hmm. um, which everyone seems to have forgot, forgotten about. So, uh, I mean, dogmatism is a, is a problem, but it's not just a religious problem, and everyone has to deal with that, no matter which end yes. of the of the debate they come from. Chris. I was going to ask, um, talking about the dogmatic religious element, you, you've described your project as building bridges, if you like, with, yeah, uh, with liberal society and uh, entering into dialogue. How can you do that with the religious right? Is there a way <laughs> of doing that through... Your own institution in Oxford as well. Well, that, that, that wasn't that wasn't the way I was facing. That's that's a good question, and um, I shall start thinking about it from now. <laughs> uh, but th- th- let me just tell you a, a story. Uh, the last time this kind of question was put to me was was at a conference on uh, in the United States on uh, weapons of mass destruction, and I'd just given um, uh, the paper on Christianity and the ethics of weapons of mass destruction and the fellow responding to me uh, then taught at the at the uh, US War College in Pennsylvania uh, where he teaches officers and he said to me well that, that was a, that was a very um, 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 good summary you gave Nigel of just war doctrine my problem is that uh, a large portion of the uh, officer cadets I teach in the US Army College are fundamentalist Christians and from their point of view, Armageddon is something to look forward to. Uh, this kind of just war doctrine discourse uh, is completely alien to them. And so he said to me, well, what, what do you have to say to them? Read my book. Read the book. No, I said, Martin, I haven't a clue. Um, uh, um, and there was a time when I, I was puzzling over this and thinking, well, you know, trying to talk to dogmatists is like trying to have a conversation with a drunk. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, well, I mean, I, I have I'm going to remember that one. Of, well, I, I, he does teach in the University of Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> yes, high table gives you a lot of experience of life. <laughs> well, in, my, in my younger days, I did spend uh, several futile um, weeks uh, trying to have a conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but but I, I actually revised my opinion on that a bit because um, I've been reading, I guess, a year or so ago, um, a number of accounts written by young British Islamists who, who got involved in militant Islam. Ed Hussein was one, but there have been others too, published newspaper articles, who have um, come out of Islamism. And I was curious in reading their accounts as to you know, what caused them to. Um, and, um, I mean, different things in different cases, but... Uh, um, what seemed to seems to have happened is that several of them became aware that the 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 story about Islam that they'd been sold by political radicals wasn't the only story as they began to be introduced deeper into into the tradition mm -hmm. and it struck me that that uh, that process of change of mind must have been a very gradual one, and at some point you'd have had some um, um, uh, more mainstream liberal Muslim conversing with these fellows mm. and going away from the conversation thinking that got absolutely nowhere. Mm. Yes. Nothing happened. Yes. But actually, a penny was dropping. Mm. Mm. And it seems to me that... <coughs> okay, so come, to come back to the, to, to the, the religious right, yes, uh, um, uh, I should have conversations with, with them, and we have a lot in common. I mean, mm. I mean, my faith ain't anywhere without scripture, so mm. right. we, we could start there. Um, and you know who knows uh, when you know what pennies are are dropping, um, and I won't expect to come away having persuaded everyone at the first meeting, but maybe over five ten years. Um, uh, and and just coming back to the uh, the uh, the current challenges facing the Anglican Communion, I mean I, I think that the Archbishop is therefore right to, to try to get us to talk more. I mean that that can seem like a terribly kind of liberal. Um, 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 Pollyannish view. If we just keep talking, we'll agree. Well, that won't necessarily happen. But I think, you know, we, we, we've yet to get to the point where, where we're having a real honest exchange. And then such disagreement as remains may at least be A, charitable, and B, more um, nuanced <laughs> and yeah, informed. That's right. You may actually know what you're disagreeing about rather yes. than caricaturing each other. Exactly. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and and going back to your Northern Ireland experience, Nigel, I mean, which is also relevant for the Anglican Communion, you, you've done a lot of work on forgiveness, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of these conversations can't happen while we're um, morally certain that we're the only ones who are right. And there has to be some level of sort of willingness to forgive each other before you can even start some of these conversations, doesn't there? Yeah, that's that's right. Um um, and I thought long and hard about this because I, I mean I've I've been in touch with um, a fellow who served in the uh, the Royal Ulster Constabulary during the Troubles, who, who's a, a thoughtful Christian man, um, and uh, um, you know e even now many years after the events he experienced, uh, he still remains uh, I don't know what the right word is um, certainly mistrusting uh, and certainly. Resentful or, or, yeah, bitter perhaps um, uh, about the fact that certain uh, there are certain people in the government of Northern Ireland now, members of Sinn Féin who were IRA terrorists and who had to do with something to do with um, some horrific um, bombings. Um, and it seems to me, in, in talking to someone like him, and and, and saying, "Well, you've got to forgive." Um, one has to think very carefully about what you're saying. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, there's this kind of tension in, in the New Testament, it seems to me, between the idea of forgiveness being unconditional um, 
and and the kind of conditionality of, of of you know and if your brother repents forgive him um now your con person that you've been talking about from the constabulary might I suppose just to verbally say, but they are in government without having ever, having ever repented of no. um, the violence that they were involved in, and therefore forgiveness didn't come into play. Uh, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I'd qualify that a wee bit in, the, in that, having thought about these things, I've decided that there are two different things we mean by forgiveness mm -hmm. often. Yeah. Um, um, the one we think of perhaps most of all is, is what I call absolution. It's the point where, you know, if, 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 if you've, uh, if I've lent you my, my bicycle, Mike, and you, and you bring it back in, in pieces and you walk away without saying, saying sorry, um, uh, then, then, um, um, uh, until you actually show me that you understand what you've done, it's quite right for me to, to register a certain disquiet about this. Mm. Uh, so you're so it's I mean, I, 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 disquiet. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the nice way of putting it. I, mean, I, 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 I just can't trust you. And so, in a sense, we can't be reconciled. I, I can't say, I can't absolve you and say, Mike, um, it doesn't make sense for me to say, Mike, um, uh, um, 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 we're going to be as we were before. I'm going to trust you and, you, and yes, you can take my brand new shiny bike again, uh, until, I've, until you've given some indication that you understand that what you did was wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, that's only half the story, because the other half of forgiveness uh, I've heard is compassion. So, so uh, um, the fact that you've, you've messed around with my bike and been irresponsible with it doesn't prevent me from recognising that, that I share with you the common situation of being a sinner, and that if I hadn't broken your bike, I have done other, similar things to other people. Other people's cars. So I, 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 I can't regard you in, in, entirely with self-righteousness here. I, I've got to recognize... Fun though that would be. Well, <laughs> and, and kind though I am to be <laughs> self-righteous, yes, that's right. But, it, but I think the thing that always concerns me is getting back to how we were kind of thing, being um, part of the nature of forgiveness. It seems to me that in some situations that's not either realistic or indeed right i mean thinking of situations of abuse y you don't want to get the person back <laughs> yeah. in into a relationship which is has been hugely damaging uh not in this life anyway and i think that's a relevant <laughs> kind of qualification absolutely um yeah. and i think a lot of christian teaching on this makes people in that situation feel really condemned because they haven't forgiven they you know they should have forgiven and they haven't and they don't want yep. to and uh, yep. do you have anything to kind of shed on, on well that? I, th I think i think your point there about not in this life is, yes. is right on the button uh i mean particularly with regards to northern ireland but but in other spheres of life too one often hears the talk about you know, we need to, to to achieve closure there's a kind of therapeutic Hmm. idea you know we, we, we need to to shut this down and then march off into the future well it just ain't like that uh, hmm. there are all sorts of bits and pieces of seriously unfinished business and business that can't be finished within the space of of, of a lifetime hmm. um and so i i think i think christian hope that by the grace of god the the, the nuts in this life that we have not had the the wherewithal or the time to untie will yet be untied um, mm. in the next life. Th that, that hope allows us to be a bit more realistic about what yeah. can be achieved now. And, um, okay, so in the case of someone who suffered abuse, it's probably not realistic to expect them to embrace their abuser. 
but there, there are other more proximate ways in which they might be able to get past their appropriate rage <laughs> and anger. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, but I, I think hope, Christian hope, making possible a certain realism um, is, I mean, that, that's, a, that's an, an important kind of balance. Mm. Not becoming cynical, but not becoming... Um, Pollyannish about yeah. what's possible here. Because presumably it's not just a matter of wanting to restore the relationship to where it was. It's it's about what kind of a um, a future you can have. I mean, both in Northern Ireland and in South Africa, it wasn't so much a matter of it, it was it was yeah. the, that the injustice that the so, those societies had suffered was actually preventing them from becoming a different, a, a new and better kind of society. Right. And until that's dealt with in some way, you actually can't move on, can you? That's right. But in both cases, whether we're talking about recovering the past or moving to the future, it's a matter of establishing trust, isn't it? Uh, and the, what, mm. the, what the past does is to, is to make it difficult to yep. trust. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's right. That's right. This is <clears throat> another area in which you'd have thought perhaps Christians have something to contribute to the, the public realm in the area of forgiveness. It is quite big in Christian... Oh, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Theology. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, how does that play? Well, uh, Christians have, have made a, a big contribution, I think. Uh, I mean, not least in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Truth and Reconciliation yeah. Commission there was, was um, heavily influenced by Desmond Tutu. Uh, and then you've got famous cases in Northern Ireland. Uh, I forget the, the, the name, but the father of one of the... Harry's women who was blown up Wilson. at Skillen. Yeah, uh, Wilson. That's right. Yes. Um, so we certainly, you know, put forgiveness um, on the agenda, um, and that's been good, I think. Um, and uh, and Christian virtues of patience and hope and love, uh, in all sorts of unhidden ways, I'm sure, has uh, have have worked f for good. But having said that, um, uh, precisely. Certain, certain popular Christian notions of forgiveness um, uh, seems to me uh, have been shown to be inappropriate. Hmm. Um, too quick. Too quick. Mm. too quick. And Yes, exactly, too quick. Hmm. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's a lot of confusion amongst Christians as to quite what it means to forgive. Hmm. Um, um, my own view is if, if, if you separate out the, the moments of compassion and absolution, yes, you can actually make, make mm. better mm. sense of it mm. because where absolution is not appropriate... Compassion can still be appropriate. Yes. yes. Um, but uh, um, no, I mean, I, I think Christian, the Christian Church has made a significant uh, contribution to, to public life in that in, mm. the, in that place. Mm. Where, where do you think that confusion has come from about forgiveness? Is it a an overly simplistic reading of the Bible, or, or what is going on there? Do you think? Oh, I don't know. Um. um well, just off the top of my head, I, I wonder if, if, if a certain reading of a, of a Protestant notion of um, um, justification by the sheer grace of God mightn't, mightn't lead Christians to feel, well, you know, as, as God has unconditionally forgiven me, regardless of the fact that I continue to sin, therefore I should behave toward other people people regardless of whether they've repented or whether they've changed um, I guess I'm, I'm inclined therefore to ask questions about what's being assumed about God's behaviour toward us right. and I, I, I'm inclined to think that 
that, that God has oodles of compassion <laughs> <laughs> and that God w- woos us to change. But um, um, God, in the sense that the business is not complete and, until we have been enabled to repent. Mm. And, and there is the same ambiguity in the New Testament about God's forgiveness of us. Is it unconditional? Or is it conditional? The same kind right. of tension as there is in, in us with one another, it seems to me. You know, and right. uh, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. There's a kind of conditionality in yeah. that yeah. Um, that I think perhaps it, it goes with your slight suspicion of yeah. the overquick Protestant understanding at that point that's right that's right i i, I mean uh, it's very common i mean I, i've heard i've heard uh, um fellow theologians and, and christians um without thinking about it just talk about unconditional forgiveness um but that, that that's that really is too simple and, and it's important to note that the word unconditional doesn't appear in the new testament <laughs> <laughs> um but the way you've described compassion that we human beings can offer to each other mm. um because we've all done something equally bad to somebody else um, at, at some point. We've, we're all sinners. That doesn't apply to God, does it? So if it's because mm. God hasn't done anything <laughs> bad to us. Um, so okay. God can't operate like that, but, but you, equally it sounds like you're saying he's not going straight to absolution, those two forms of forgiveness that you've talked about. Yeah, yeah, okay, you've got me there. Shucks. Okay, but I think then uh, there's, another, there's another element. Um, I, I mean, it's not just that you know I'm a sinner and Mike's a sinner, and so when Mike steals my bicycle, I have to rein in my 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 rage. It's also that that um, by reflecting my own experience, I realise that as a human creature, although I have I've made irresponsible choices. I am subject to um, genetic, physical, social forces, um, and, and some, some of us are subject to greater forces than others mm. that mitigate our irresponsibility. And I think even though God himself um, uh, may not have um, done anything irresponsible, um, God incarnate knows the pressures. And so even he can have a certain compassion for, for creatures some of whom really have all the cards stacked against them. Mm. And there's a, the category of love is important here as well, isn't it? I mean, one of the reasons oh, yes. <laughs> one God would want to, treat, to forgive us rather than to punish us is because he loves us and wants his response to our sin to be geared towards our recovery and flourishing. And presumably that is an important thing for for human beings to learn as well that mm. actually the point of forgiveness is partly for the flourishing of your own humanity and the and the other person's uh, so i mean i love that yeah. image that you used about god wanting to woo us to change um and i mean that that's another stage in this forgiveness business isn't it is actually wanting the person to to the, who has wronged you um to begin to change mm. Um, and when we wrong other people, likewise, we need to begin to change, don't we? And that, that's, that's a, a, another dimension of it all, isn't it? Mm. Not just the compassion and the absolution, but actually that sort of what you call the wooing element. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, I guess that's the, I mean, the, the, the awareness of our common subjection to forces we can't control and our, our common responsibility, that's the kind of negative bit. Yeah. But it, it's, the, it's the prospect, 
you know, ideally of reconciliation and, and flourishing together that's the positive yeah. pool. Mm. And I, I, you need both, actually. And, yeah. and the compassion aspect of forgiveness can induce, can woo the response that makes absolution yeah. appropriate, can't it? Absolutely. It can yeah. bring about repentance because you're offering it, because you're showing that you actually care about them as a person. Yeah. Uh, you're not hitting back, you're off offering forgiveness. And then that can sometimes, doesn't, not automatically, but it can induce a repentance that makes not just forgiveness but reconciliation possible. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And presumably, I mean, Christians are very often seen to be um, not at all good at forgiving but actually extremely judgmental um, and the last people to, to be any good at forgiving. And, and it's difficult to get the balance, isn't it? Because you, going back to our previous conversation, you do want to say that there are certain kinds of things, certain kinds of standards, certain kinds of moral discussions that, as a society, we have to have. There are certain things that we that we will not just put up with. Um, and how you reconcile those kind of mm. um, pressures, uh, it, it seems to be really difficult in the, in the public sphere. I know you've done some work in the past on Karl Barth, haven't you? Who was, oh yes, uh, who was somebody who who was rather good at saying um, Christians want to say harsh things to certain kinds of societies, yeah. um, but on the basis of presumably wanting to change them, engage with them. Of course, he knew a bit about bad society. Indeed, yes. absolutely. Yes. yes, having lived through, uh, I mean, he wasn't himself German, but but uh, he taught in Germany in the thirties and. Yeah. Uh, was pushed out of Was himself Germany. Swiss? Do you mean? Was Swiss? Swiss, yes. Swiss. But, but lived in, in Germany. Yes, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, he, wasn't, he wasn't German, but lived in Germany. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, yes, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's very impressive. Um, I mean, well, on the one hand, uh, as we've discussed, I mean, I'm quite keen that, that uh, um, a Christian vision of moral life you know, engage constructively and help to build a... a a constructive conversation with wider society. On the other hand, it, it seems to me that, that uh, it, it's vital that uh, um, Christians keep hold of their fundamental view of the world, mm -hmm. their fundamental theological convictions, um, and, don't, and don't, as we have done in the past sometimes, put them aside in the hope of reaching some kind of anodyne consensus. Uh, and Bart was, uh, if anything, he has to, to offer con the contemporary church. It is... Uh, um, his insistence that you know, we have to stick to our colours, mm. um, um, not just for the sake of being different, because I think we shouldn't. Uh, 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 I don't think the issue is our being different or distinctive. The issue is um, our saying what we have to say. Mm. Mm. Um, um, uh, and in, in the recent past, I guess the, the danger of those who have become those Christians who become too liberal is that, that all we end up doing is repeating what everyone else regards as common sense. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's no good to anybody. So I suppose the difficult discussion is, is knowing where we draw the line. That's, that's, that's the tough bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in theory, it, yeah. it, we, we do, of course, need to be able to say something, uh, to be countercultural at times, but... Where does that begin and end? I suppose is is the difficult bit of the discussion. Yeah, and I, I guess I guess there are there are risks, but we've we've got to take them. And, and I guess yeah. the, the line gets drawn different places and different topics, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, it's 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 a, it is a, a, a I guess quite a difficult balance to to maintain integrity in the one hand, but also openness and um, um, yes, being 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 intelligible on the other. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, it's, it's, this is not just a problem facing Christians. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. anyone coming to a conversation has to mediate between fundamental convictions and trying to find some kind of consensus in conversation. And actually, in any relationship or engagement, you it's one's distinctiveness and difference that is what you offer the other person. And that, you know, it's by allowing the other person to be different of course. that you um, you get to meet them. And you are enriched by them. That's right. And until you let them be different and say what they want to say, even if it's different from what you want to think or believe, yeah. you don't actually get that en- enrichment. And this is where, where I think that, that some liberal folk, and I, 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 I think of certain columnists in The Guardian here, um, <laughs> um, they seem to feel that, that uh, um, religious people should shut up in the public place because... Most of us aren't religious, they say, and therefore uh, religious people shouldn't impose their views on us. But that seems to me to be profoundly illiberal, actually, yes. mm-hmm. that all of us have particular points of view. Actually, British society is not as, sec- as, as non-religious as they think. But even if, it, even if it were, all of us have particular views, whether we're Marxists or neoconservatives or... Feminists or whatever. Whatever. Yep. Um, so so we, we need to be able to say our pieces in our own terms. So the, 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 the task is not that we all adopt the same language, that would be a very boring conversation indeed, but that we learn to converse patiently, charitably, etc. And, and that there, the, you know, those, are, those virtues are ones that Christians can demonstrate. And, and that we have to allow them to say the things that w- we don't like. Mm. I mean, we allow, need to allow people to make films attacking Jesus or whatever. Yes, I, I um, agree. It seems to me, uh, when, when we're watching one of the Narnia films and seeing that they cut out quite a few of the bits that were kind of distinctively Christian, and I thought I'd much rather have a situation where... Uh, and they, they did the same with Philip Pullman's um, uh, the, the, film, the, the film of the book there. You mean they, they downplayed the anti-church bit? They, they downplayed the yeah. anti-church bit. The under, yeah. I would say, let's let each thing be what it is, full-bloodedly, yeah. and then let's listen and engage from there, rather than cut everything down to a, a kind of watered-down, lowest common denominator. But it does mean that you have to be prepared to hear things, see things, yeah. that you're going to disagree with profoundly. Yeah. Well, and th- th- you know, that's genuine tolerance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it takes some effort. Uh, um, yeah. Whereas, I mean, a lot of what we think is tolerance is simply ignoring each other, which is mm. not really yes. what's meant. Yes. Yeah. So yes. we need better forums in which to have these conversations, and we hope that the McDonald Centre yeah. may be one such where people actually really will have honest conversations. And we, we should try that on the Godpod too. Do you think we should? <laughs> 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 no, okay, let's not. <laughs> Meanwhile, we should probably um, let Mike has to go and do a, a carol service. I do, and. Um, and Nigel has to get back to Oxford. So thank you so much for being with us, Nigel. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks. And um, please, will you come again and continue these conversations? And goodbye from... This is Jane saying goodbye. Yes, and Chris. Happy Christmas to all. (laughs) Can I come again as well? Uh, Uh, Yes, we've still got food left to ah, eat. Yes, Yes, we're we're recording this just before Christmas, but whenever you listen to it, we hope you will have or have had a happy Christmas. Or are having. Yes. If you're sad enough to listen to it on Christmas (laughs) Day. (laughs) That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.
Until next time, goodbye.